Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swag lane drive left field. One run is in. Here's Kevin Green. Here's the run of the play. He is. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Powers on Sports Podcast. Appreciate you finding us on the various uh, podcast platforms that you may be utilizing. Stitcher, Google, Apple, all the good stuff out there. So we appreciate you finding us. we got a great episode for you tonight. It's Masters Week. And it's also, we're going to, we're wrapping up the college basketball season. We had the college basketball final last night, uh, kind of a result we weren't expecting, which is okay. So uh, we've got two great guests. We've got Michael Collins going to be joining us a little bit later on from Augusta. Michael Collins is a senior golf analyst for ESPN. You know, you also will know of Michael as America's caddy. The episodes he runs on ESPN plus very vivacious, very, a lot of personality out of Michael We'll talk to Michael about the Masters and his career and all that good stuff about being a caddy. And first off, we are going to have a regular guest of the podcast, one T.J. Reeves, my man who's been the hardest working man in podcasting the last three weeks. He's been <laughs> busting out podcasts at all hours of the night, days, mornings, Saturdays, Sundays. In fairness, with your help at times. I appreciate it, but you're still the man doing all the work and all the editing. So welcome, P- uh, T.J., Back to the podcast. Uh, it is good to be with you. What day is it? What time is it? And it's good to reintroduce myself to my wife and the twins. Uh, I have 12-year-old, soon-to-be 13-year-old, as I keep reminding me, uh, twin daughters. And one of them would like your audience to know on the Powers on Sports podcast, she had Baylor and Gonzaga in the championship game, and okay. I did not in her right. bracket. But however, she was like me. She had Gonzaga winning. So instead, Mrs. Reeves claims the Reeves family bracket, my wife, who did not watch a single second of college basketball prior to the tournament successfully won our bracket between my father and me who live and breathe this and have for 40 years. She won the bracket because she had Baylor all the way and Baylor comes through. And I I know I've had you on with me talking about this history for Baylor. And I think all of us were surprised that Gonzaga could not finish this off. And I guess we begin right there with, if not now, then when is somebody going to go undefeated? Because it was set up for Gonzaga in the same locale, Jason, and Baylor denied him. I know. You've you've been to many a Final Fours, and it seems like all this <laughs> history seems to always end up in Indianapolis. Yep. Kentucky got dethroned. UNLV yep. got dethroned yep. back in the day. And now, obviously, Gonzaga gets dethroned from the perfect season. And the fellas from Bloomington can toast, a, toast another year. 45 years and counting now. Alan, you're an IU guy in graduate school, so stick your chest out uh, on that. And it just shows you how hard it is to win this tournament, period, but especially with that expectation around you because Gonzaga was the number one team in the country preseason, had the albatross figuratively around their neck the whole year, lived up to it. Um, And again, I know we'll get into the, the nuts and bolts of this, but it was a tremendous tournament. It's the best event in sports, and and it never fails 
uh, to deliver on excitement and storylines. And Baylor is the storyline that will come out of this once and for all. Yeah, TJ's the give TJ is, is due here. He's the host of two two pot two podcasts that I'm involved <laughs> with: the Three Dog Thursday podcast and yep. the College Hoops Coast to Coast podcast. So TJ's TJ's now in the answering question mode, not having to lead the questioning. So we appreciate, appreciate TJ's that. time here. Uh, Again, we're going to hit the Gonzaga-Baylor game a little bit. We're going to hit on a couple coaching hires. We're going to hit the Sam Darnold trade to Carolina, which TJ is also the sideline guy for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So that's close to our hearts. Intra-division, we got a new quarterback to have to deal with in in the division. We're also going to hit a couple questions on the Masters. So, all right, let's get right to Gonzaga-Baylor. You know, not that Baylor won the game was such a huge surprise, but obviously the way they won and with the the force and with the – assertion that they started the game with just your opening thoughts on how Baylor came out of the gates they jumped all over them and I don't buy into we've now had a night to digest this at the time that we're taping I don't buy into that it was mostly mentally mental fatigue or somehow emotionally drained I think it was more Baylor's aggressive defense that was going to bother Gonzaga no matter what because certainly after Mark Few took the early timeout when it was 11 to one, they're snapped out of it at that point. It's, it's slap them figuratively upside the head and say, wake up. So that, I don't think that was as much it as it was aggressive Baylor defense, stripping the ball, deflecting passes. And the biggest thing that we kept talking about is making shots. And man, did they make shot after shot after shot in the first half to pull away 10 of their first 13, five of their first five were made from three, yep. and by the time Gonzaga looked up, they're down by 19 points, Jason. So it's a great performance by Baylor, and we should not sell it short by talking about Gonzaga being in a fog or being drained. I don't think. I don't. I agree with you. I don't think that. I don't think the physical wear and tear of the UCLA game had much to do with it. Just they were up in their grill. Those guards for Baylor, for Baylor Mitchell and uh, Jared Butler played great in that first half. Devion Mitchell's defense was what to me. He, they was all over Suggs. Suggs got two quick fouls. You know, the inside players for Baylor are not great skill players, but they're, they're wide bodies, uh, vital. And the uh, two, I, I can't even pronounce the other guy's name. Chachua, I believe. Yep. They just really muscled Timmy out of the post and kind of made him ineffective. And, and once Kispert didn't get off to a good start, you knew it was going to be a long night. Give Gonzaga credit. They, they stayed in the game. They got to back to within 10 at the half, and you thought, okay, Maybe they're going to stabilize, but every time they – I don't think they ever got closer than nine points in the second half. You're correct, because because Baylor would turn around and hit a three-pointer yep. or would get a fast break, and Gonzaga missed several free throws when the yep. door was maybe still ajar for them to walk back in and get back in the game. What a performance by Scott Drew's team. And, yep. you know, we talked so much about how we undervalued the Pac-12 in this tournament, and rightfully so, with all the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 teams the Pac-12 had. But the Big 12 turns out to be a tough league as yeah. well when you look at what Baylor did uh, and they didn't even, they didn't even win the pack, uh, the big 12 tournament. They did win the big 12 regular season, but um, man, great performance. Can't say enough about the job they did and it's history for them. It's all time. I know the women had won the women's final four and women, yeah. women's national championship a couple of times. And now the men joined them with only the second ever championship for the men. Now we're talking about in the state of Texas, Texas Western is the only other one. The iconic win with the all black starting five, Don, the bear Haskins. What's now UTEP Texas, El Paso was Texas Western back in 1965. And that's it. Baylor 2021 is the next one. That's incredible. And it just shows how hard it is to win it in this day and age of college basketball, the parody from 
the UMBC beating Virginia to the all these 11 seeds getting to the yeah. Final Four, how hard it is to win every game. Forget about a pandemic year, but just to win every game in a, in a normal year. And we all think Gonzaga's in an easier conference relative to other people, and they still couldn't win every game. Well, and you bring up a good point, too, that just to win the six games in a row in the tournament is a gauntlet. It is a challenge. And that's why we should not mark few. Uh, yes, he's been in the title game twice and lost it, but uh, this is not easy. Jim yeah. Beheim Hall of Fame career has one title for all the final fours and all the championship games that he's played in and lost. Yeah which are several. He has one. John Calipari has been in multiple Final Fours with three schools, UMass, Memphis, and Kentucky. Been in the championship game repeatedly, repeatedly, and has one win. Tom Izzo repeatedly in the Final Four, repeatedly in the championship game, has one win. It tells you how elusive it is yep. to win the fifth game, to win the sixth game, Jason. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and the last thing I'll say, and we'll move on, is, you know, don't, don't, Gonzaga got beat last night, plain and simple, no doubt. But don't don't say they're overrated. They had a, they've got a great team, oh, a great Lord, program. Yeah. You know, one could say you know they play in a weak conference, but they every year they play great out of conference schedules. And this year they thumped everybody that they played that we all thought were really good teams. They thumped them all in the non-conference. Let's don't say Gonzaga is an overrated program, especially this year. Well, you're absolutely right. And uh, he, he, uh, we keep saying this on all the shows that I've done. I've said it so many times. I'm almost saying it in my sleep, but he has built an empire, Mark Few, in Spokane, Washington, with a little 7,000 student uh, Catholic school in Spokane, Washington. But they've got players from all over the country and all over the world that want to come play at Gonzaga now. So bravo to the job he's done. Great tournament. We're going to remember yep. it for so many things for yep. it being compressed in Indianapolis. We're going to remember it uh, for UCLA and the great run that they had as an 11 seed to win five games and came so close in an epic semifinal. You didn't ask me this, but I'll volunteer it. Yeah. I believe that semifinal with Gonzaga is one of the two or three greatest NCAA tournament games ever played, ever not just final four, but ever right. when you go back and look at all the made shots, both teams shoot over 55%, all the made shots, the high level, the overtime, the drama, uh, what was riding on it with a perfect season. We're going to talk about that game for 15 years, 25 years, and maybe longer with a banked near half court shot deciding it. So this was just a great tournament and Baylor yes. Baylor makes history and finishes it off. I love the sport. I am biased, but it is the best event in sports. It sure. never fails to have drama and to have an exciting championship. Absolutely. And the women in the women's tournament was a great tournament as well. Yes. So short, short chains them. Stanford wins two one point games in the final four. First 28, 29 years between titles for Tara Incredible. Vanderveer, which is incredible, yeah. which I never would have thought. I, I knew they've been great. I didn't realize it was that long that she hadn't won a title. So kudos to her in, in Stanford. And I think she's been in the final four like six times since the last win to the point about how hard it is. The Gino yep. Oriyama has made it look very easy on how to win the fifth game and the sixth game. And then we suddenly we freak out when they don't win the final four right. game or don't win the championship game. But it shows you how hard it is to get that fifth or sixth win, even in the women's game. And let me say one more thing that you didn't uh, ask me here for all the fear mongering for all the hysterics about you can't play. It's not safe to play. Bravo. Bravo on the powers on sports podcast to the NCAA, how yeah. organized they were the army of people that they used in San Antonio for the women, Indianapolis for the men to pull off 
64 women's teams safely played every game in the women's tournament, 68 men's team and played 66 of the 67 games and kept it safe, gave us great entertainment on TV detached. Uh, We, again, we missed the madness a year ago. We didn't get it even delayed. It made up for it this year, but there were a ton of people um, I was talking to somebody today that was around the NCA people, and he said those people look like the walking dead. They looked like zombies by this weekend because of what they had been through. But it was a labor of love by dozens and dozens and dozens of people in Indianapolis and San Antonio to pull this off safely when a lot of people said you shouldn't be playing. Right. And it was great theater. It was great stuff, Jason. Thank absolutely, you for the soap. Absolutely. You're listening to the Power Zone Sports Podcast, TJ Reeves, Three Dog Thursday Podcast, College Troops Coast to Coast. Let's get to a couple storylines off the court. Some yep. big coaching hires the last in the last week or so. Hubert Davis to North Carolina, assistant promoted. Chris Beard crosses the state, goes from Texas Tech to Texas. And the one that surprised me a little bit, Porter Moser takes a job at Oklahoma, doesn't take the Indiana job potentially, doesn't take some other bigger jobs that he's been offered. Kind of, I don't know if it settles for Oklahoma or there must be a connection we don't know about, but he goes to Oklahoma from Loyola, Chicago. Your thoughts on those I, three? I love that move for him. Let's start right there because okay. the Indiana job, you're on the pressure cooker. He's from the Midwest. Yes, he's done a great job at Loyola of Chicago. Uh, but, I mean, Indiana, I know the football program had a good year last year. It's a basketball school, and they are dying. They are Sahara Desert dry. And I know I'm not telling you anything. I'm preaching <laughs> to the choir. You're an IU guy. They are dry. They have not been in the final four. Am I correct? They have not been in the final four since Mike Davis, 2002, when they got to the championship game. It has been a dry period. Heck, they didn't even get in the tournament this year. Four years in a row. Yes. Goodness gracious. So uh, that, that may be as much as anything is what scared him off. And the Oklahoma job, that's the football school. That is a football school first and foremost, but they have a ton of money, great facilities, tra- tradition in their program. They've, they've been in Final Fours. Lon Kruger was in a Final Four in 2016. They were in the NCAA tournament this year and won a game. So I, I really look at that as a solid move for him because if they only if they only make the NCAA tournament and they only win a game, it's not a failure at Oklahoma right. for his first year or two. And, and they're very capable of that. Love the Hubert Davis move. Uh, just because you're giving him the opportunity after being a longtime assistant and a former player at Carolina, Roy yep. Williams apparently handpicked him. I heard again from somebody today that said Michael Jordan yes. had the seal of approval yes. on Hubert Davis. That carries weight. Let's see how he does. And Chris Beard is an intense guy and now has all the wherewithal and the resources to go coach to Texas. How about two of the former guys he's worked with, two of his former fellow assistants or or an assistant that worked with him at Texas Tech that had gone on to be head coaches. One of them at Texas Arlington and the other one at Texas El Paso, speaking of of UTEP Texas Western. They are leaving head coaching jobs wow. to come with Chris Beard to be an assistant at Texas. It tells you one what they can pay at Texas, but how much respect they have for him and they know what Beard can do with the Longhorns yep. because now they may be able to springboard to a job themselves, a better job if that happens. But that when I saw that this week, when those two coaches left UTA, UT Arlington, and Texas El Paso, UTEP, to come be with Beard as assistants, wow. that tells you about the job that he's he's getting ready to try to, to undertake at the Horns in the Big 12. And and say what, say what we want. We know they got all the money in the world. They're a sleeping giant. They should be good. They ought to be a final Sweet 16 team every other year, most years. I mean, Shaka Smart had it going on a little bit this year. 
good for Shaka to get out of there before I think they were going to kind of the way they lost this year. He might've had one more, one more year right. to hang on had he not had a great year, but I think Chris Beard is a kind of guy from a recruiting perspective. He'll be able to get guys there. And I think he'll, that'll be a good move for them. All yeah, right. No doubt that uh, Rick Barnes had it at a high level, but uh, it's tough. That's again, a football school in yep. Texas football rules that state. So maybe beard can get it going. And again, the expectation is just do some damage in the tournament, get to a sweet 16 every once in a while, win the big 12 every once in a while. Let's see how he does. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We're going to transition. Put your football helmet back on. It's football yes. season. Draft is about two and a half, three weeks away. Big move in our NFC South division. The Jets trade Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers for a two, four, and a six round draft mm. pick. Just your thoughts of Sam Darnold ju jumping into the gauntlet of the NFC South. And he's on the final year of a deal, originally drafted three years ago, obviously, in the first round out of USC. And, and does this mean Teddy Bridgewater is on the outs? Is, yes. is it an open competition? You would think uh, that it means that, that Bridgewater is going to be bye-bye, but um, and maybe they're trying to trade him. I was surprised they didn't get at least a second or third round pick this year. The second right. round pick is coming next year right. from Carolina. But apparently, as the story goes, the Jets were originally fielding offers for like a fourth round pick or a fifth round pick this year. <laughs> and they at least manipulated getting three draft picks from Carolina to get something for Sam Darnold. And I'll be interested to see how he fits in in Carolina. We'll see him twice this year against the Buccaneers. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, it, up in the air in Carolina at quarterback, up in the air in New Orleans with Jameis Winston and Taysom right. Hill at quarterback. Right. And is Atlanta picking fourth, maybe going to look to do something with, with Matt Ryan. But again, Matt Ryan's salary number is Outrageous. so massive. It's almost untradeable, almost yes. uncuttable for, um, for Atlanta. So we'll see. But the NFC South, very interesting with quarterback upheaval and now Sam Darnold in the mix, sir. Yeah, I, re I read today that Darnold already had his fifth-year option picked up by Carolina as part of the deal. So it's, it's basically a two-year, $23 million deal for Sam Darnold. They have given Teddy Bridgewater permission to seek a trade. It wouldn't surprise me if they kept him anyway because he's got a big salary cap number as well. So he'd be a good – again – Darnold's going to be the starter. They're not going to make trade all those assets and Darnold have to compete for the job. I don't think one other thing the, there could so. be an injury here. There could be an injury to Darnold and Bridgewater's True. right back in there. You got to right. be prepared for that. Um, who knows? But again, that's Carolina's problem to deal with and, and figure out. And how about all the quarterback musical chairs? You're almost going to need yeah. a scorecard to figure out who went where this offseason when you're talking about no more breeze in New Orleans, Stafford and golf switch places in L.A. and Detroit. Sam Darnold leaves the Jets and is now in Carolina. That means Teddy Bridgewater's probably somewhere else. Yep. Uh, what was it? Uh, um, Carson Wentz goes to the Chicago Bears. Uh, and the and the Bears also get Andy Dalton. Goodbye, yeah. Mitch Trubisky. Right. I mean, you can't keep uh, it's musical chairs. When does the music stop on the quarterbacks, Jason? Then he had then he had Russell, the, all the rumors about Russell Wilson wanting out. You had the Deshaun Watson issue. Now that's yeah. that, that's on ice with all his issues in Houston. Is San Francisco going to take a quarterback, which means goodbye, Jimmy Garoppolo, right. probably if they do. They are. Does does San Francisco swing a trade and give Garoppolo back to the New England Patriots, right. which is being rumored? Right. The musical chairs at quarterbacks, unreal in the 2021 offseason. The most active offseason in quarterback history in the NFL, no doubt about it. Yeah. But, uh, and, and of all things, the Bucs state, Stan Pat, they bring all their guys back. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucs do draft a quarterback in the second or third round, but yeah. 
But uh, of, of all teams, the Bucks might have had the best offseason off by keeping everybody. It's amazing. The moves that you don't make and being able to keep the, t- the team together uh, for this point in time, we'll see. And we'll speak- see as they try to regroup uh, in, in Tampa Bay. Yeah. And the happiest guy on the, on the Bucks roster today might be Alex Kappa. He was the beneficiary of the, the, the NFL as a salary and uh, program where if you're underpaid and you're, you're undervalued under your contract, they give a bonus. Kappa got the biggest bonus in the NFL for being an underpaid draftee because he started all 16 games for the Buccaneers. And let me give you uh, some insight on that whole situation. Again, I get the privilege of working the Buck games, uh, be inside the building and be in the know. That's a young man that when he was drafted was a mid-round pick out of a small school, yep. Humboldt State, yep. uh, not even a noteworthy school, what, Division II? Right. Um, And the truth can be told here. Dirk Cutter and the previous coaching staff did not think he was NFL caliber. Um, Boy, were they wrong. Absolutely. Boy, were they wrong. And and Alex Kappa was tremendous at right guard throughout this season and even really last year uh, for the Buccaneers, more than demonstrating he can start and play at a high level in the NFL. And unfortunately for him, remember, he broke his arm. Right. Uh, I believe, or did he break his leg? I'm trying to remember which. He had broken his arm before, I think, and he broke his leg, fractured ankle in the playoffs. So he started all the regular season games but didn't right. get to finish it off. But still, that is a great find by Jason Light and his staff and good for Alex Kappa. Um, I still remember the conversations that were being had about this kid. He, he has got some uh, old school, smelly hole in the wall bar uh, bouncer in him. Just a rough <laughs> house hair, guy, long clean, hair, long hair. Clean the bar, clean the door out, get rid of all the all the problems and all the troublemakers. That kind of mentality blocking on the offensive line. So good for Alex Kappa and good for the guys up front blocking for Tom Brady. I think he made like 650k in bonus money today or something. Good for the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. Much Absolutely. the same way that Jason Powers cashes the bonus checks on the Powers right. on Sports Podcast. Yes. <laughs> All right. So it's Masters Week, Mr. Mr. Reeves. Yes. I know you, you've got a storied background on the golf uh, golf world. TJ's worked for PGA Tour Radio, Sirius XM, covered yep. a lot of golf tournaments over the years. Have you been to the Masters and have you covered the Masters? I have been there, but I have not ever been on the call for any of this. That is still a dream to get to go do that. I don't know if I'm ever going to get to do it, but I've been there for practice rounds, never been there for an actual uh, round of the tournament. And I'm into this just like everybody else is to see what happens. And Hey, you know, again, credit the PGA tour for resuming last year for getting all the major championships played. We played a masters in November and we've only had to wait now five months for it to come back around and play the following April. This was always going to be the case with Dustin Johnson. Now as the defending champ, I am all about it at Augusta this week. Now, have you been, have you had the chance to go? It's funny. I almost about five, six years ago, I almost took a job in a, in a town right next to Augusta called Evans, Georgia, which is about 10 minutes down the street from Augusta. I didn't end up getting the job, but I've never been to, I've never been to Augusta for a practice round or anything. So so let me, let me give you two or three things. The first thing is, it's hilarious because Augusta is obviously a southern small town, and you would think a lot of times with these golf courses, these prestigious golf courses that are everywhere, you know, Pebble Beach that you see uh, on TV, or I'm I'm going to leave one out here. You, you Pinehurst. Watch Earth, Pinehurst in North Carolina, Medina in, uh, right. in Illinois. They're all set off away from town, you know, secluded. In Augusta, you're driving through the middle of downtown yep. Augusta, 
on Washington Avenue. And then all of a sudden, bam, here is Augusta National Golf Club in Magnolia Lane. Yeah. Like right up the street is the Hooters and the Walmart. And right <laughs> here is Augusta, is Augusta hanging right there. And so that's the first thing that strikes you. Yeah. Uh, the next thing that strikes you is television doesn't do it justice. The amount of elevation change up the hill and down the hill, especially on the front nine, is crazy. You don't get that on TV. When you're walking that course, even as a spectator, you're like, my gosh, it is 50, 75 yards down that hill. Wow. It's 50, 75 yards back up, 100 yards back up this hill, like number nine, coming back up the hill at the green. So that's the next thing that strikes you. And then it is just amazing how immaculate it all looks on TV. There's no trash anywhere, Jason. There is not a piece of, of paper out of place, a leaf out of place. There are dozens of people walking around with little trash sweep dust pans. There are people vacuuming things up every which direction. It's immaculate. So it's a lot of fun to just get to go there, soak it up, see all the different uh uh, holes and, and see players walking yeah. around. They're much more loose early in the week in the practice rounds. And then when we get to Wednesday and Thursday, they start to lock in for this, but it's a special tournament, special tournament at a special place. And all the greats going back to Arnold Palmer, going back to Bobby Jones founding it, but Arnold Palmer or Jack Nicholas or Gary player or Lee Trevino, Tom Watson, move forward, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, now right. Dustin Johnson, et cetera, et cetera. The greats, the Nick Faldos that have won this, um, it, it is just amazing the history of this and how cool it is. You don't have to be a golf fan to appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and just remember, folks, we're going to have Michael Collins on. Oh. I know TJ's worked <laughs> with very, very regularly on the PGA Let me, Tour. Can I tell you this about Cuzzy? And, and uh, he calls, so the South Africans all call each other Cuzzy. Cuzzy is like, hey, brother, hey, man, whatever in South Africa. So Cuzzy is the best. You're going to love talking to him about Augusta and the Masters. He's a caddy. He's a comedian. Love Michael Collins. Yep. I helped launch that, that dude. I helped launch him <laughs> on Sirius XM with a show that he and I were co-hosting. You're going to tell some stories yep. uh, about that with him. But, I mean, on the Cuzzy thing, he's like talking to er Ernie Els. Uh, like a multi-time major champion. They're like, let's go to Michael Collins now after a 66 today with Ernie Els. Let's go to Michael Collins to interview him on PGA Tour Radio. He's like, Cuzzy, what a round, Cuzzy. <laughs> and Els is like, Cuzzy, did you like my shot on 18, mate? And he's like, Cuzzy, that was great. And I'm like, is this something out of a bad Saturday Night Live sketch or are we really doing this? So that's Collins. Yeah. I look forward to hearing him on with you here in a few minutes because Michael... Michael is the best. And again, this is this is just a special, uh, special tournament. It's quiet. It's revered. It's beautiful. But man, usually on Sunday, you talk about the NCAA tournament never fails in delivering Augusta on the back nine. Sunday always seems to have dramas, birdies, eagles. I'm looking forward to it. If yeah, if you're the layman sports fan out there, whether you like golf or not, Sunday from about 3.30 to about 7, make it must-watch TV. Seriously, I don't care if you, who you like. There's going to be drama. There's going to be – somebody's not going to be winning by seven shots. There's going to be drama there on that back nine in Augusta. And, again, the good thing is there are going to be patrons in the audience this year, not as many as normal, obviously, but they are right. going to have some spectators there. So – yeah, let's talk about some of the some of the guys. Go ahead, TJ. Go ahead. Well, and that's and another thing is I don't care if they have five hundred or five thousand there instead of fifteen or twenty five thousand. The roars that you will hear, yep. you can hear them all over Amen Corner. The hair on the back of my neck is standing up right now, Jason, because you will be standing like on the seventeenth green and you can hear the roar down from fifteen or fourteen if somebody does something. 
Yeah. Um, so the roars there at that place, they echo around, and it's going to be great to see all of that. So Dustin Johnson is obviously the favorite. He's 10 to 1. Jordan Spieth won last week in San Antonio. I did not realize, and I keep up with it, he hadn't won in three and a half years. Yes. But he gets that win last week. Does that green light him as uh, as one of the guys that could win this tournament? We'll wait and see. Uh, I, I would look out for him. John Rahm's wife just had the baby. Rahm was right. saying if she went into labor during the, the Masters, I was going to leave and go be with her. Mm. She's had the baby. He's in there. He was in the top 10 last year. He was in contention yep. back in November. Maybe it's Rahm's time. I don't know what you think, but uh, some interesting names to certainly keep track of. And we talked, We I remember you and I talked on the podcast back in November about DeChambeau trying to overpower Augusta, and that right. didn't work out really well. This is a notorious second-shot golf course. You can have all the driving ability in your world, but you got to be able to hit that second shot in the right parts of the green. From all indications, the, the, the course is much faster and firmer than it's been in the last few years. So, again, back to more of a strategic uh, game plan as opposed to a pure power game. And be interested to see how a guy like DeChambeau in his second attempt at this new way of playing golf goes about Augusta. Rory trying Rory trying to get the Grand Slam for the seventh time. It's amazing to think he's been going seven straight times trying to get the Grand Slam. His first Masters hasn't ever won yet. Yeah, it's eluded him, and maybe he puts it together again. He was in the top ten in November. Somebody to keep an eye on, although he has struggled some yep, yep. Uh, as of late. Uh, and again, back to DeChambeau. He is a guy that is trying to hit it 330, 340 in the air, cut the corners, et cetera. What he repeatedly found were the woods and the azalea bushes <laughs> and right. trouble. Uh, and it may and it may be that he has to change some of that strategy that you were just alluding to. And maybe I don't have to hit it 330. I only hit it 290 or 300 to make sure that I have it in play to give himself a chance. It would be foolish to say that he's not going to be around. Right. But I don't know that he's going to win this thing. Right. And I'm, I'm curious if Dustin Johnson puts it back together here like he did back in November when he basically ran away with it on Sunday. And this is also another co a course where the guys that are 40, 40 plus, the, the Fred Couples, the Phil Mickelsons, the Langers, yep. they can still compete in this tournament. Yes. Because of, you don't, again, you don't have to hit it 340. You can, it's a strategy golf course, it's a second shot golf course. And those guys know the green so well is that that, that in itself is probably worth a shot and a half around. Yeah, one more thing about that. Phil Mickelson's talked about that, and he's won this thing multiple times. You got to know where to miss. You and and the pros talk about this all the time on all courses, but especially on this one, when you play the same course every year, they know where to miss. When you've played there five times, 10 times, when you played round after round, you know, I can't miss this left. Right. I'm dead. I'll make a bogey. I'll make a six if I miss this left. You got to know I can't miss this short. If I miss this short, it's in Ray's Creek. I can miss long and it's okay. So the guys that have been around, like Mickelson, like Couples, they know that the veteran players, I mean, everybody's going to be hot for guys like Colin Morikawa, the young, the right. young player hasn't played there enough. Right. And so, yes, now watch him win the thing, but wa watch him, watch him struggle because he hasn't played there enough right. to know where to miss. And maybe it's Jordan Spieth following up the win in San Antonio that is rocking and right up on the top of that leaderboard at the end come Sunday. We'll see. All right. Give me a pick. Before we get out of here, I, I'm going to go. Hey, I'm going to go with John Rahm as a guy that maybe it's his time inspired off the wife with the new baby. Um, you better get it done now because he's not going to get a lot of sleep in the next few weeks. Maybe it's him. 
Um, my man, Tyler Jones, who, you know, and we've been on podcasts and shows, he keeps saying Victor Hovland. He's a golf guy, Victor yeah. Hovland, Victor Hovland, uh, who's now in his second year on the tour, former Oklahoma state guy, uh, right. golfer has played well, has played well, even in the majors. Maybe it's his time, uh, to step up. Everybody's going to pick Dustin Johnson in this thing. Brooks Kepka, We haven't mentioned that name off the knee injury. I don't know that he can contend. And we know Tiger Woods off the car wreck. Uh, was probably going to be able to play by this time had he been healthy enough off the back surgery and that stuff. No Tiger, not even there, not going to be there. And, and we don't know when we're going to see him again publicly after shattering his right ankle uh, in the car wreck. So no Tiger, but it's still going to be a lot of fun at Augusta. And I love, if you can't tell, I keep going on and on. You got to regulate me. I can't, I can't keep from talking Augusta <laughs> and the Masters, Jason Powers. Now, will you be, will you be somebody that watches the, the from Thursday on? I will be all over it on the yeah. app. I won't be all day fr uh, Thursday and Friday, but I will see much of it Saturday, even live or taped. And I, yeah. you better believe, like you said, from about 3 p.m. on, you're watching everything because somebody's going to put together on that back nine where par is 36 somebody's going to shoot 30 or 31 yep. and roar up the leaderboard it is it is supposed to rain on uh friday and maybe soften it up the wind is supposed to blow some on sunday that may affect things right. for the scoring but all things are equal somebody will make a run jason on sunday and maybe two or three somebody's we always get excitement around this thing if if rory mcelroy can avoid the big number in round one which has been a disaster for him these in these in these majors i just saw a story about him how poorly he's done in the first round at a bunch of these majors if he can get out of the first round 70 71 i like rory mcelroy to, to complete the grand slam in, in a goofy kind of year that 2021 21 is met. And will Dustin Johnson follow it up? He's won all these major championships. He won in November. Right. I mean, you're talking about all time stuff that you could brag about forever. I won the Masters twice in five months. Yeah. Forget about that, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Tiger Woods. I, I won twice in five months for the green jacket. Who knows if he can do it? We'll see. All right. So you're listening to TJ Reeves. Appreciate the time, TJ. Three Dog Thursday podcast. College Hoops Coast to Coast. What's your next podcast? I know you do a boxing right, podcast. We do a boxing podcast, too. I'm a man with so many hats. There's no doubt about that. So the Three Dog Thursday podcast, we'll be talking a lot about Augusta. We'll be wrapping up the college basketball. That's the best one. Find Three Dog Thursday wherever you find podcasts. Uh, I look forward to that one. We put the college basketball to bed. Now on to the Masters. You mentioned the NFL draft. It never stops. Just keep rocking on the Powers on Sports podcast. Publicly, thank you to Jason for helping me out with a lot of different stuff, including the college basketball, including in the middle of the night. I know you enjoy doing it, but Anytime. not everybody is willing to stay up with TJ in the middle of the night and do shows. You were willing to do that. So thank you and keep rocking and have fun with Cuzzy, Michael Collins, coming up. We will. All right. Appreciate you joining us. We'll be back in just a minute or two. Michael Collins, ESPN, senior golf analyst, America's caddy. Thanks for the time, TJ. TJ, you never told me, what are your daughter's twins' names? Riley and Abby, and they are somewhat into golf. Abby and Riley will be watching a little Masters. Uh, again, uh, one of the twins is, is upset about her bracket, and we may even make some picks for the Masters. We'll see what happens. But, yes, Riley and Abby, thank you for the shout-out there, and my TJ twins. TJ just finished giving a lesson on the on the ninth green at his golf course <laughs> prior to us taping this. There was no green jacket awarded to them <laughs> tonight, but we were fooling around on the course, and we'll be watching the Masters. Good to be with you, my friend. Have a great week, TJ. Good luck. Good luck with the Masters. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Thanks again to TJ Reeves of the Buccaneers Radio Network, the Three Dog Thursday podcast, and the College Hoops Coast to Coast podcast for giving us some great insight on the tournament in March Madness and the Masters. Coming up next, 
Michael Collins, ESPN Senior Golf Analyst, live from Augusta. Thanks for tuning into the Powers on Sports podcast. We really appreciate it. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Before we get back to the episode, want to mention Titan Home Lending. If you have any home financing needs in the state of Florida, reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. I can help you with a home purchase, with a refinance, with a cash-out refinance, with a renovation loan, a VA loan, FHA loan, conventional loan, and virtually anything in between relative to home financing. So reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. You can reach me on email at jpowers at titanhl.com. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. It is Masters Week on the calendar. NCAA basketball is done with, and it is nothing but Masters Week this week. The center of the golfing world is Augusta, Georgia, and we are so pleased to have the America's caddy, the ESPN senior golf analyst, one Michael Collins, live from his hotel room in Augusta, Georgia, sitting in his hotel. And uh, we're going to talk to Michael about his career a little bit, both as as a caddy and as an analyst. And uh, Michael, before we get started, I'm going to bring Michael in here just a second. Michael is the host of America's Caddy on ESPN+. Plus. He also does a radio show on SiriusXM with Pat Perez called Out of Bounds. He's been on SiriusXM for many years, joined ESPN in 2011. And welcome to the podcast, Michael. Appreciate you having us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. What's going on? Not too much. You are you are sitting in the, looks like a beautiful little hotel room there in Augusta. <laughs> the beautiful Fairfield Inn. <laughs> All right, before we get to the Masters, wanna, before we get to the Masters talk, I want to talk a little bit about your career and all that okay. good stuff as, as a caddy. You were a caddy for 10 years on the tour. Yeah. With some work with some guys, Omar Uresti, Chris Couch. How do you, how did you get into the world of being wanting to be a caddy way back when? It, I never wanted to be a caddy. I just liked hanging out in the daytime with my buddies on the PGA tour. And on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, uh, I would I would usually book wherever I was performing, wherever the tour was going to be or close by so that in the daytime I could hang out with the guys on the golf course. And then at night they would come to the show. And <laughs> on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, the caddies would be like, hey, you want to carry the bag? And I'd be like, yeah, because I knew I could be inside the ropes, you know, not thinking that the bag weighed 35 pounds and we were going to go walk seven miles with the thing. So, <laughs> After a night of drinking and doing some talking. Whatever. They would call me the caddy's caddy then. And then one week, this uh, Robert Gomez just called me up and said, I'm playing like crap and I'm not having fun on the course. My caddy quit. And so come caddy for me for a week. I just want to remember how to have fun on the golf course again. And I was like, yeah, why not? All right, I'll try it. And uh, went out there, caddy for him. We had an absolute blast. And other guys gave me their phone numbers and was like, hey, call me when you got a week off because I want you to caddy for me for a week then too. And then that just started snowballing. And the next thing I knew, I was caddying just as much as I was doing stand-up. And so I was, you know, ended up being on the road probably, I don't know, 49 weeks of the year. And then, um, you know, slowly but surely then, you know, I started doing some broadcast stuff on the side and, 
it was crazy. But like that's how Caddy and basically got started was just me doing stand up and then hanging out on the golf course. And, you know, after that, then it was like, all right, if I'm caddying, you know, once I decided I was going to do it, guys were like, Hey man, come, come work for me. I'll never forget. So the first PGA tour event, the the first PGA tour event, the first event I did with Gomez was Nike tour. Right. Cause he had to do a restart after being hurt. And then in San Antonio is the first PGA tour event. I ever caddy nice. Um, at La Cantera. And I caddied for Dudley Hart's brother, Steve Hart. And I never forget, I was doing stand-up that week and caddying. And so I, I was exhausted. It was crazy. But I never forget, like, we made the cut, played the weekend, and finished, like, 21st or something. I mean, we finished pretty well. It was not bad. Not a bad finish at all. Yeah. And, like, one of Steve's best finishes. And he was like, all right, so what day can you get to Virginia next week? And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to Virginia. He was like, yeah, man, we got to keep this going. And I'm like, um, no, I got another comedy gig, dude. Like, no, I'm not a caddy. And he was like, come on, man, we got to do this. And I was like, uh, uh, I can't, man. I'm, I'm doing stand-up. He was like, oh, you know, and so... Well, kind of go. I was like, you know what? If I want to do this for real, so then the next time I caddied, I asked, I got there early in the week and asked other caddies, like, okay, look, teach me how to rake a bunker for real. <laughs> right? Because like I don't want to, I don't, I don't take it as a joke. Like yeah. doing caddying for me is not, I'm not doing it just to make jokes on stage. Cause I never talk, I hardly ever talked about golf on stage. There were a couple times if something crazy happened on the course, but for the most part, it was just like caddying and comedy were separate to me. You know, I kind of brought some elements, but, you know, so it was like asking dudes, all right, how am I going to do this? Show me for real. Like, why do you walk the yardage off the way that you walk the yardage off? Like, yeah. I, the only thing I was good at, I was really good at reading greens from the beginning. And so that came pretty much naturally to me. And I was never scared of the moment. You know, so that's kind of how caddying started. So, you know, you you, you mentioned your com comedy background. Obviously, one of the important parts on the course with your guy, whoever you're working with, is to try to keep him relaxed and try to keep him as loosey-goosey and as, you know, into the zone as he can. Sometimes, being... well, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Like, sometimes, sometimes when, if my boy is, you know, if one of the guys I was caddying for was not playing all that great, then I'm going to... Every now and then, if he needs it, I'm gonna let him seethe for a little bit. I'm gonna let him get some red ass. Like that's <laughs> seriously, like yeah. that's. I yeah. told one dude, <laughs> I'll never forget one dude. I came for uh, John Elliott. His nickname was Jumbo, Jumbo Elliott. And so John, yeah, it was just a. I was supposed to be off that week, and then when we got there, my player Chris Couch was like, "You know, what? I'm gonna take the week off." And I'm like, "Hi, dog. We're already here in South Carolina. What am I gonna do?" And Jumbo was in the parking lot. I was like, yo, caddy for me. Caddy, you got the week off? Chris, let him caddy for me. And Couchy was like, yeah, go ahead. I don't care. And so I was going to have that week off too, and now I didn't. So Jumbo, uh, on the ninth hole, par five, he had made bogey with the sand wedge on seven and eight, and he was just bitching. I'm the worst wedge player in the world. I don't know why I'm out here. I'm just <laughs> wasting my time. I blah, blah. And, and I was like, this is, I could have had the week off, and this dude, is going to be bitching and complaining like this? Like, nah, this ain't going to work. 
And so on his par five, the ninth hole, he hits driver in the right rough and tries to muscle a three wood out and pops it up. We got a hundred yards. So he's got to hit a sand wedge, but he's bitching. And I'm like, well, if this dude has this attitude, there's no chance he's going to hit this close. And I'm not saying nothing until I get up to the golf ball and I take the bag off my shoulder and slam it down on the ground, like stand it up, boom. And he looks over at me and I go, yeah, you suck. Just like that. And he looked at me like I slapped him in the face. And I was like, and I, I looked at him like, what? And I was like, and I, <laughs> I go, there's a bar like two miles down. Maybe you could go try pro darts. Maybe you'll be better at that. And I, and I made a smirk on my face. And he tried not to laugh, and he was like, F you, and snatched <laughs> the sand wedge and hit it to an inch. Wow. And so the next hole is a par four tenth downhill. He hits a driver. We got 60 yards left in, and I'm like, well, I don't know why you hit it down here because you know you got to hit that wedge again, and you know how good you are with that, like being sarcastic and a smart aleck. And now he's trying not to laugh too, but stay serious. Hit to the two feet, birdie again. <laughs> The next hole is a par three, 11th, 139 yards. And I'm like, well, it's got wedge in the name. You know what I mean? And you got to hit that thing with the wedge in the name again. God almighty, here we go. And now he's trying really not to laugh. And as soon as he makes contact, I'm like, oh, don't go in the hole. Like, don't go in the hole. And the thing, two hops, spins left, goes in the hole, hole in one. God damn. So I tell him he sucks, and he goes, birdie, birdie, hole in one. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I now, mean, there are some dudes that I can't do that with. Right. You know what I mean? Every guy needs something different in that in that same moment. You can't say the same thing to every golfer. And I, sure. and I learned, like, that's what makes a really great caddy. What makes a great caddy is knowing exactly what your player needs at that moment, whether it's a joke or a kick in the ass. Or, or, you, or you just to be quiet. That's the that was the beauty. That's that's one of the things I love about caddying so much is it's knowing it's knowing when in a normal circumstance somebody else would open their mouth, but as you know your player well enough that you know this is the moment he doesn't need you to speak. Right. And that's the best thing that you can do for him. And so that for me was like why I love I just I fell in love with caddying. So people would ask all the time, like, what do you like better, comedy or caddying? And I would be like, listen, caddying's got my heart. Comedy's got my soul. Like, that's the easiest, sure. that's the only way I can describe it. Cool. All right. Favorite tour stop? Oh. For a party, just a fun week. Just from Monday to, from Tuesday to Sunday. <laughs> yeah, but. Okay, am I caddying or am I just hanging out there? Little, going to the... Doing a little of both. You, you're nah, have... see, oh. here's the deal, man. There's this, when you're caddying, there is way too much money involved to go out there and get stupid. Like, okay. nobody does that anymore. All it's right. not, that's an old school caddying. That's not, that's not playing for, I, look at the Players' Championship. Right. The winner got 2.7 million. They were playing for 15 million. You think a caddy was going out getting hammered that night? All right. Give me one as a broadcaster and one as a caddy. Uh I mean, there's the best nightlife is probably gonna be Vegas, of course, because it's Vegas. Okay. So there's always something to find to do in Vegas. Um my favorite city in America to go to when we're in the States is I, New Orleans, man. Nice. 
Good, that yeah. city, that city has a vibe and a heartbeat and an energy that is unlike any other place in the United States of America. And every place is, every place has its own personality and has its own like feel and vibe to it and stuff. But New Orleans is just different, and everything there is awesome. Like food, oh yeah, music gambling the women nightlife like all of it yeah all of it is just crazy good all right what's the worst course to walk as a caddy and you say god dang i we're back here this year and i hate can't stand walking this damn course reno yeah. uh reno is johnny dangerously right there so like when the, <laughs> if you if you caddy for a dude who's not in wgc's like Reno sucks. And then the worst is probably Maui, but no one feels bad for you because if you're a Maui, you won That's and it's right. a free paycheck. But like that golf course, that golf course, Maui, that plantation course is so ridiculous. You got to take a, a car ride from the tee shot on a par three to the green. You're not even allowed to walk from the tee to the green on a par three. And it's and you don't even get in a cart. You ride in a car car. Like they put these dudes <laughs> in minivans. And the same with on from the par five to the par four, from like the sixth to the set, from the fifth to the sixth hole, from the fifth hole to the sixth hole, it's almost a half a mile. So you got to get literally in a minivan to ride from the fifth to the sixth. And they also give you a cart ride from the 10th tee to the 10th fairway Jesus. because the walk is so brutal. Woo. So All right. how does the how does the conversation go when a when the damn pro fires you? You ever been fired or you left volunteer? How does that how does that conversation go when I'm I'm Jason, I'm the pro and I'm firing Michael? How does that go? Get the hell out of here, you're done? Oh no, nah, man. Um I've never been fired face to face. No, what, seriously. What do guys always, do? What what so, do pros do when they fire their caddy? A lot of times, it's usually over the phone. It's yep. very rare that it's face to face. Every now and then, a guy will get fired in a parking lot afterwards. The I think the the funniest way that I got fired, I got fired after a Thursday round by a player's wife because he didn't want to come out the locker room because he was afraid we were gonna fight because <laughs> our relationship had gotten so bad at the time because <laughs> he was a rookie on the PGA tour and uh <laughs> he hated the fact that at the time he was a rookie and nobody knew who he was and like I was on the USA network every Sunday doing a bit on uh PGA tour Sunday yep. so I was much more famous than he was and it drove him crazy he hated it he would he would go nuts for it it was funny and it was back in the day like a year or two after Shaq and Kobe split and he loved Kobe. So he used to always be like, there can only be one Kobe, Mike. There can only be one Kobe, Mike. And I used to tell him, well, Kobe ain't got no rings without Shaq, bro. So Kobe ain't got no rings without Shaq. Shaq's still getting rings. So be careful what you wish for. But that's probably the craziest. Most dudes would call on the phone and be like, hey, man, I need to make a change. You know, it's, I'm going to try something different, blah, 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 this and that. And so... I guess the the last dude that I worked for full-time, Scott Piercy, me and him were hanging out. We were staying in a hotel together, so we were hanging out, and after Q school, he didn't make it 
he didn't get his car through Q school. So he was going to have conditional status. Right. So he was like, look, man, you're married. You got kids. And I don't know how many tournaments I'm going to get in. So like go back to doing serious XM and whatever else comes about because you guaranteed money that way, you know, cause I don't know what I'm going to get in. And then don't you know that fool won Canada the next year. <laughs> This caddy, this caddy made about 10 times the amount of money in a week that I made for the year. It was crazy. <laughs> all right. For all you all you YouTube millennials and all the people out there, Michael is, is a part of one of the most famous moments in golf. Phoenix, what? Phoenix, you're on the aren't you on the tee box with Mr. Woods when he hits the, no. the famous no. I you, you told no. I thought you told me that. No. Oh my god, no. I wouldn't. No, absolutely not. No, 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 no. I caddied for Omar, you rescued, but that was way after that happened. Oh, Omar was his brother was caddying for him. His brother Hoss, who you know, the two of them were the, they were the first PGA toes that I pros that I ever met. So, yep. yeah, no, nah, I was no, nah, I was nowhere close to that. My bad. That, that's yeah. Michael and I met a couple months ago at a charity deal out of Tampa for my, for Michael Gibbs and I. I must have misunderstood what you told me about the Phoenix yeah, and nah. Tiger story. Nah, man. That's, okay. That, nah, the funny story goes that, and Omar tells it fantastic because Omar played first on the hole. So he hits it and he hit it. It's funny. Now, because of the what you can do with a the computer, they, there's some places that have digitally taken Omar's golf ball out off the green. <laughs> they just erased it because Omar went first and was actually about a foot and a half, almost two feet short. It almost went in. And then Tiger, so Omar hits the shot to like a foot and a half, right? And then he walks back to a horse, his brother and his caddy, and he goes, let's see the kid beat that. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Tiger kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, on that highlight too, you know, they hardly play the whole thing. But so Tiger hits the ball and it's in the air. Now the, it's, they're playing a twosome. So as soon as the Tiger makes contact, Omar and Hoss start walking because they're going to walk up. So they're walking kind of slow and then boom, the ball hits, hops, goes in a hole, the place goes crazy. So now they got to turn around and walk back to give celebrating stuff but Hoss can see how jacked up tiger is from the hole in one and the place is exploded and so there's beer flying everywhere and like it was so loud that it shook the windows in the clubhouse wow and registered um it registered on the earthquake meter the geiger counter it registered in the geiger counter like in downtown Phoenix and stuff too. So when Ty Omar's walking up there, you see him put his hand up to give Tiger a high five and Hoss is terrified because he sees how jacked up Tiger is. So he goes, watch out, watch out. So Omar <laughs> kind of pulls back a little bit because you can see when Tiger throws the high yep, five, if yep. he connects, he probably could have broke Omar's hand or wrist. <laughs> and so Hoss was trying to prevent them injuring each other, just hitting each other too hard. And so that's why that high five they miss. So I that's you. one of the. Uh, but I always tell Tiger, bro, you were bad at high fives from the very beginning, bro. From when you first came <laughs> on tour, nobody ever taught your ass how to high five somebody. So. Uh, all right, last last caddy question. We'll get to the Masters. What's the biggest bet 
you've ever witnessed either on a practice round, biggest amount of money between two guys for a round or a shot or something, anything oh. on the course. No, you ain't, no. Hundred grand, hundred grand. I'm not. I'm no. I don't need. I don't need names. Just an amount. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> That's one thing you ain't getting caddies to do. Even ex caddies. Caddies ain't talking about money. Okay. All right. Because all it takes is somebody to be like, oh yeah, I know that, or somebody, oh I knew this, and next thing you know they're gonna be, oh, well yeah, it went out on this. Such and such, and I got you. Okay, I'm gonna guess, say your I'm, name. Be like, eh, you don't have to. I'm gonna guess high six figures, low seven figures at some point. Mm, no. Okay. All right. All no. right. So, <laughs> you gotta always think of it this way. Do you think dudes on the PGA Tour are gonna gamble for more than they're playing for? Some might. <laughs> why? Well, then why are you playing? That's true. I mean, I mean, I. You know, some of these guys got the itch, man. That's why they're playing pro golf. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> now, the funny thing, Fox had a thing called, but it's. I'm glad that I'm. I'm glad that I'm. I'm opening, putting light on all these crazy things that you thought might have happened out there that just aren't. That's way no. Nah, that kind of stuff don't happen out there. Okay. Um, but there was the first television broadcast that I ever did was a a thing called the ultimate game on Fox. And that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to bring together the biggest gamblers in Vegas. And it was out in Vegas to get all these dudes together and let's play for, it was the first $2 million winner's purse. Right. The winner was getting a $2 million check. And so all of these gamblers were all backing these golfers instead of playing themselves. (laughs) They all backed these semi pros and like, all these other which like there was i think six or seven pga tour pros that ended up coming from that event and making it onto the pga tour it was tony finau's first event yeah as a prove he turned pro at 17 just to try and win that two million kevin streelman who's won twice on the pga tour scott piercy who's won twice on the pga tour eric compton the uh the guy who's had heart transplants twice two heart transplants yes Uh, there's a there's yeah there was a few dudes that ended up cool coming out from that event so that's like Vegas the gambling stuff like that doesn't happen on the PGA tour okay. but the hustlers that play for the like six and seven figures they're not on the PGA tour I got gotcha, you I got gotcha. you all right we well, listen to the Power Sun Sports podcast our special guest ESPN senior golf analyst and America's caddy Michael Collins in Augusta Georgia as we're previewing the Masters here. Let's get to some Masters questions. What are some of the most, what's the most underrated part of that course? Well, you know, we always hear Amen Corner and, you know, 16 and all that. What's a part of the course that's a little underrated that the viewer doesn't maybe it's get not, a chance to see? It's not that it's underrated, but the, if you ask every player, like, what was the one thing that shocked you the first time you walked onto that property? It's the hills. It's, it's a brutal walk. It is not an easy walk at all and so what you can't what what is tough to describe from television is the the hills so like hitting off a down slope on 10 imagine imagine trying to hit off of the back of the bathtub right to the shower head right 
that's the severity kind of of what it feels like on the 10th to the 10th from the 10th fairway up to the 10th green and same on like number nine or like number eight when you stand where the ball lands on number eight when you look up that fairway you don't see anything there's nothing that you can see or like (laughs) it was great the women's amateur event um one of the one of the women hit it in the bunker on 18 and she's standing in a bunker and the caddy's like all right it's right at the tv tower which on tv when you watch it like the tv tower sits way up behind number 18 green she's standing in the bunker and she goes i can't see it so (laughs) that's the thing about augusta that like tv there's no way to show that on television that the hills and the slopes are so severe, so severe. And, and it looks, it doesn't look real on TV and it looks even more fake in person because it's so perfect. I always said that to this day, I believe that the Oompa Loompas from the original Willy Wonka, they <laughs> live there underground. And like, if a pine cone hits the ground, you never see them, but they have like secret trap doors. They pop up, Goomba Loompa grabs it, pulls it back down. And stuff. just none of that stuff. Pine straws, all that uh, stuff. Just I've seen them with brooms at the end of the day where they sweep the pine straw back into the trees where it was. Yeah. To make it look like it's literally, it, it's golf version of Disney World because it's, it's magical like that. So, and you feel it when you walk on to the property. What's going to be the biggest difference from the November tournament to April as far as score? The... Score. Okay. Is, yeah, the, is the turf going to be? Is ain't nobody the... dropping no 20 under. No, no one's going to be shooting 20. Is the great? It's is been. Turf, it's turf been be any different? Uh, yeah, it'll be. Yeah, because the the overseed will still kind of be the Bermuda will be starting to come back in because they've had so many warm days up here. So the course won't play, it's not gonna play the same as it did in November. It's not gonna play a lot different, um, but I don't, I don't think the scores are gonna be as low as what they were, you know? So that's gonna be the big difference is I don't think, I don't think someone's breaking the scoring record this year. This is a notorious second shot golf course. You know, you have a smaller field. You only have about 90, 90 guys or so, as opposed to a normal week's we're at about, what, 150, something like that? On 156 is a full field event. Then they have 144, which is like when we're on the West Coast because of daylight. And then the Invitationals or yep. the, uh, like, you know, the Genesis, the Arnold Palmer, the Memorial, right. the Colonial. Those are 120. Those are 120 fields. And then the WGCs are 64. Obviously, with this with this tournament, you have to qualify to get in. You don't just automatically get in. No. This has typically been an experience. A guy with some experience has typically won here because of the only, rounds played. Only one first timer has ever won. Yep, Fuzzy. Yep, Fuzzy, the only guy who won in his first try. Jordan Spieth claimed close and finished second. Um, but so and, and, and experience from a, from a, matters so much here and fuzzy you know still to this day fuzzy tells everyone and it was a very famous story that fuzzy didn't make any decisions on the green none whatsoever he just looked at his caddy and his caddy said hit it right here 
you know, and his caddy knew, you know, the pace that he, but it was an Augusta national caddy. Right. And so his Augusta caddy, cause back in the day, you know, back in the day you had to take an Augusta caddy. It wasn't yeah. until 1983 when they changed it, when the pros started bringing their own caddies, you know, but up until 1983, um, you had to take an Augusta national caddy. And so those guys were infamous for knowing those greens better than anybody else. And that's why fuzzy won. It's also why like Jordan, the reason he came close the first year he got there was he sat down with Ben Crenshaw and then his caddy, Michael Greller, Greller. Uh, sat down with Carl. Yep. Um, Carl Jackson, Ben Crenshaw's caddy and Carl, who was one of the great Augusta caddies, you know, of his time as well. Um, so they they went down and, and played a round or two to get played to like nine holes one day, nine holes another day. And so they played trying to f- figure out all the secrets of the course. And they almost did. They almost it, did. But that's that kind of experience from Augusta Caddies is is crazy. I talked to Jennifer Cupcho, who won the first women's uh, Augusta amateur. Yeah. Um and she had her dad on the bag when they played a champions retreat, but she took an Augusta caddy and she said he was the reason that she won was because he was like, she goes, I got the putt going left. He was like, no, it's <laughs> going right by two feet, put it over here. And she was like, all right. And bam, you know, and yep. she made a bunch of big putts coming down the stretch, including like an Eagle at the Eagle 15 and, Birdie sixty. It was crazy. Is the is is the biggest influence a caddy's going to have this week on the greens, or is it more the emotional part of, hey, I know this is a go for two kind of green. We need to lay up here, or hey, you're feeling it, go for it in two. In the in the un, the fluctuation of from eagle possibilities to double bogey possibilities on a lot of these holes. Well, I, I think it's all situational. That's the thing is like, you know, the greatest, the, the caddies, of course, all the guys that are here. And I think the guys that are going to be in contention to win, they've done their homeworks on the green. Yep. So they know, they know where they can miss it and where they can't miss it. And what gives them a realistic opportunity for an up and down and what's impossible for an up and down. So that, that part of it, I think, you know, I had a great conversation with Crenshaw that actually he it's, it's on this, um, edition of America's caddy. Um, and that is like, so Augusta is the golf course that tests your patience more than any other golf course, but it's also a golf course that forces you to take a chance. Right. So you as a caddy got to decide with your, with your player, where are you going to take your shots? You know, where are you going to fire at flags? Where are you not going to fire at flags? And so that's the challenge this week for a caddy is to to, to let, it's like a jockey who you got a thoroughbred and every now and then you got to let the reins out and like, all right, show them the whip, let the reins out and go, like let them go. And other times you got to hold them reins tight and kind of like, all right, not yet. Like stay with the pack, stay with the pack. We ain't breaking yet. And that's that's the challenge for a caddy this week. Who do you obviously we're leading in? We've had some you seen some stories about Rory struggling, Dustin Johnson struggling a little bit. Guys, other guys that are making research. You mentioned Jordan Spieth before. He's played really well in this here these last couple of months. He hadn't won yet, but he's been he's been in the top ten a bunch. 
give me a couple guys that you like. I don't necessarily favor just guys that are playing really well right now that maybe we wouldn't know about the, the, the layman fan. Well, you know, you said it, Jordan Spieth going to the Masters, it's hard to go, yeah, he's not going to have it. Because that's a place where you can go to. And even if you don't have your best stuff, a guy like Jordan, who's won it twice, feels so great about yeah. being on that property. But now he's been playing pretty good. Woo! Um, <laughs> I just saw Snedeker hold out for Eagle in front of the nice. uh, So... DJ too. Um, DJ, I think the way that he lost at the WGC match play kind of stuck a needle in him a little bit. It's it a crawl. Like, I guess, you know, you know, that's the one thing. DJ's one of them dudes that doesn't show a lot of emotion, but like, if you irk him, now he's going to get mad. And if he's mad, you're probably in trouble. Right. And I think he might be a little upset. And then, um, Bubba's another one. Bubba's another one who was playing just good. And, and he's already in Augusta. He was there. Like, he was at the women's amateur event. He loves everything that goes about with this whole week. And he's also just been playing, oh, just okay. Not too, too bad. Yep. So, you know, those are those are a couple of the guys that you got to look at. and go, Past right. champion, Guys with experience and past champions. Yeah, like you mentioned. Yeah, but that would I would say too. Like, uh, is there a young guy you like? Is there a you know f- guy that's only been here once or twice that you think, hey, this guy's close, like a like a John Rahm, a guy like him? Yes, that's the other guy uh, who's been there a couple of times and had a couple of really high finishes and loves everything about the place. Yeah, I don't think the moment would be too big for John Rahm now, also because. There's only going to be 10% of the fans. And then Colin Morikawa won. uh, He's got a major under his belt already. Yep. And so if he he gets a chance to really do his homework on these greens, then who knows what, you know. I got you. Yeah. Well, you're going to see Michael all over ESPN these next this next week with uh, Van Pelt Sports Center, all the different things he's doing. Give us a give us a place you know give a, a quick little synopsis of America's Caddy. It's a couple places you've been to, couple places you guys oh are going to go. Oh my gosh! Uh, so the America's Caddy that's up now, I think this is number four. Yep. So there's one that was based on the PGA in San Fran, yep. and it was and it's all about like it's not about the it's a little bit about the golf, but it's more about like everything around it, right? Which is what makes it fun. Yeah. So, um. There's two Masters ones. There's the one before the Masters was on TBC Sawgrass. And that's a lot of fun because I did everything around the Jacksonville area. I got to kick field goals in Jacksonville Stadium with Josh Kobe. Yeah, and hit shots. I hit golf shots around that stadium, which is nuts. This one, (laughs) this one, uh, I talked to a dude who has been going to the Masters for since 1962. Jeez. Yeah, it's crazy. And and like he's not getting to go this year, which is wild, man. It's so um and people don't realize master tickets are one of the hardest tickets to get in sports. I tell people all the time, because you know, people are always like, Man, you think I could go to an event sometime? I'm like, I'll get you a ticket to anything except one place. <laughs> 
I can get you a ticket some way, somehow. I can get you a ticket to every tournament except one. Yeah. Like, you ain't getting asking, them. and people all the time are like, "Hey, man, if you ever come across Masters tickets." It's, no and shit. when people say no that, it's, it's like saying, hey, <laughs> if you ever come across Super Bowl field passes, yeah, give me a holler. What You think I don't want to go be on the field in the Super Bowl? I'm just calling, yeah. hey, you know, if Jesus ever just shows up and he's giving out fish and tea, like, hey, give me a call. He's like, yeah, I'll get right on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you a pimento cheese guy? You like, the, you like them sandwiches? I'm... The egg salad at Augusta is my crack. Okay. But um, I did get to go to a place here in Augusta called Wife Saver. And they had the original pimento cheese recipe. And they used to actually make the pimento cheese for Augusta National until Augusta started doing it in-house. Yep. And so I used to display buys pimento cheese i mean it was like just the sight of it was so nasty to me but i went to white saver and i and i made pimento by myself with a woman who had been doing it for 35 years and i tried that pimento cheese and it was it was i can't lie man it was it was pretty damn okay <laughs> But if you put pimento cheese and an egg salad in front of me and both of them from the masters Egg salad. 999 times out of a thousand, I'm taking that egg salad. And then for one time, I'm going to take the pimento cheese. I got you. Well, man, I really appreciate your time, man. I know I, I, sitting in the hotel room watching Snedeker hole out. On a, I really well, I'm, appreciate it. I'm, I'm running in and out, man. I got, I've been doing all kinds of stuff, having to go get COVID testing, going back and forth over to I the I forgot about side. that, too. They're, they're knocking you out with all that stuff, too. So, Catch yeah, Mike let him put him all thing, week next thing. week. America's Scotty <laughs> on ESPN Plus. He does That's a great it. job. Appreciate the time, Mike. And enjoy yeah. the Masters, my man. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Mike. Have a great all week. All right. Bye. Yeah, you too, man. All right, Jason. Bye. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.